Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we arrive at the last episode of our birth stories for the summer series. As we've heard, birth happens. You can do your best to prepare, but it's going to unfold in its own unique way. So what if you're suddenly classified as high risk and told that you have to have a cesarean? Monica Ursery is here to tell us what that was like. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that I would be that it would be super helpful if you could rate the show on iTunes. And to do that, go to birthful.com slash review, click on the view in iTunes link, and then click on ratings and reviews to give us as many stars as you think we deserve. And because it can be a little tricky to figure out how to rate shows on iTunes, I even did a a small video explaining it. So there's a little video you can look at if you need more help. All it takes is one link and three clicks starting from birthfall.com slash review. Thank you so much. So today we continue with our birth stories for the summer series. And I have Monica Ursery here with me to tell us about her birth story. Hi, Monica. Hi. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Very good. So I want to, I guess we need to backtrack a little bit with your story and start during pregnancy because there were a few things that coincided to make it that were important in in what happened at the end. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what was happening mid-pregnancy? Well, um, I lived in New York at the beginning to the middle of my pregnancy. Um, and at that time, everything was seemed to be going okay. Um, I thought I was having contractions or Braxton Hicks at around two to three months. Um, but the doctors here didn't think so. They said that was too early. So I just kind of shrugged it off. Um, they said I could have a normal delivery. There would be no issues um, because... I was told in high school after I broke my tailbone from a snowboarding accident that I would have to tell my doctors if I ever got pregnant because that could be an issue. But Mm -hmm. in New York, they said that that was fine. There would be no issue. Um, So everything up here seemed like it was going great, no problems. And then in the middle of my pregnancy, I was about five or six months along, and I ended up moving down to Conway, South Carolina. And that's when everything kind of got tricky. (laughs) Okay. So Um, what happened? Well, my my very first visit um, with my new obstetrician down there, he had noticed that I was having contractions. Um, The same feelings that I had been having since about two or three months. And he had asked if I was feeling that. And I said, yeah, they had told me that, you know, it was normal and there was no issue. And he said that that was not normal (laughs) and that I was actually going into preterm labor. 
Mm-hmm. Had the had the sensations changed at all from the two to three months to the five or six months? They had gotten a lot stronger. Okay. And, <laughs> and did you have? Did you feel them all the time? Was it you know sporadic throughout the day or throughout the weeks or pretty constant? It wasn't constant at that point. Um, it was kind of just sporadic. Um, there would be points in time where it felt like it was constant for a while, but from New York to there, I didn't think anything of it because I was told it was no big deal. It was normal. Right. Um, and then when I went down there and he said, no, this isn't okay. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Now what? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so he had, uh, did his exam and had determined that I, in fact, actually could not have a vaginal delivery, um, because of the position of my tailbone. And it was pretty scary how he described that to me, how if I were to try to give birth, uh, vaginally, what could happen. Was Um, he, did he talk about, was it more about baby not being, getting stuck or... Um, yeah, he had said, because at that point I was kind of upset, not with him and not with the doctors in New York, just upset because that entire time I had thought I was going to be able to give birth, uh, vaginally. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, no, no, they, they said that I'd be fine. And he's just like, no. And he took out a book and he showed me what was going on. And he said, your, your tailbone is in a position where if you tried to deliver your, your son naturally, then one or both of you have the potential to die. And I was just like, okay, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> a huge deal. And <laughs> and it was a double adjustment, I'm sure, for you, because you were, you know, thinking these contractions were normal and also that you were going to have a vaginal birth. Exactly. <laughs> that's a lot to process. It, it was a huge blow all in one day. <laughs> That was the day you were meeting him? Yes, that was the same day, my first visit. Okay. And you mentioned off the air that he was um he was a high risk uh specialist, OB. He was. I kind of sort of got the luck of the draw there when I picked him. <laughs> um he is or at the time he was one of the only high-risk obstetricians, him and his partner, were um, one of the only high-risk obstetricians in the state of South Carolina. Um, more than three-quarters of the state actually sent their patients to him and his partner if they had a high-risk case. Mm-hmm. And then and you were, well, at the time when you went in, you didn't think you were going to be high-risk. I did not. I thought I was just a low-risk, normal, healthy pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so you had this first encounter, and did he say, nope, you're high-risk now, or did that, was that something that developed a little bit more as the months went by? Um, that kind of developed a little more. Um, he didn't come out, he's kind of the doctor that doesn't want to come right out and say that you're high risk or that there's complications happening. And I think that was because he might have been thinking I was so young, I couldn't handle that emotionally properly. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was 19 at the time. So he might have thought that I couldn't have um, been able to process that enough emotionally 
and I might have been freaking out a little more than others, but I ended up finding out that he had deemed me high risk and about all of the other complications and how serious they actually were, but he was great in not letting anything on. Okay. (laughs) Well, you had, like you said, you were processing a lot already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you're having these sensations um, and you meet your newly moved to South Carolina. You meet this new doctor. What happens then? Well, he, uh, I'd have to say South, the difference in doctors between South Carolina and New York is really big. (laughs) Um, How so? The doctors that I had in New York, they weren't very, how do I want to put this? It was more just kind of, you're a patient, you know, um, but in South Carolina, there was your exam room, and then there they brought you back to a separate room to talk about what he did in the exam and what was going on. Like, they didn't talk to you about that stuff in the room. Mm-hmm. It was just a very different feel. It was more of a personal kind of touch. Okay. Um, and they had, like, their own little kind of bookcase, like, huge bookcase in their offices, I'd, I'd say, that if you had a question about something or they were trying to explain something that was complicated, they'd just find the book that they were talking about and open right up and have you read it or show you what was going on. And I thought that was really, really cool. So that, and and giving that information made you feel different? Definitely. With um, some of the the things that were going on, um, I think that really helped the fact that I was able to really understand and comprehend more other than looking it up on like Google or mm-hmm. WebD and getting really, really scared about some of the stuff that they'll say on the internet. He was just like, nope, this is it. This is what happens. I'm not trying to, you know, say some extravagant thing happens or doesn't happen, but this is real. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that personally. Cool. So then, all right, so you're in this situation. Walk us through how what happened for the next three months or four months. Um, well, at that point, my, um, my visits were every two weeks. Um, and it, they weren't supposed to at first. They were still supposed to be monthly, and then it was supposed to go to two weeks. But because of the contractions, he wanted to make sure everything was still going okay. Um... And if I had any more contractions, I was supposed to call the office or go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And the contractions started picking up more. They were more regular. They happened more frequently. Um, they weren't just, you know, every couple weeks or anything like that. They were getting to the point they were every day. They were getting stronger. Um, and I made multiple trips to his office and to the emergency room. Okay. Um, the first thing that they put me on was nifedipine um, to help stop the contractions. Mm-hmm. And that did help for a little while. And then um, my body must have gotten used to that. So the contractions started all over again, uh, more intense and everything. And then at that point, They had given me, I had to have steroid shots um, 
two were to help develop his lungs faster in case I did go um, go into labor. Right. Um, because his goal, he told me he could not let me go into labor. Because as soon as I went into labor, that would be considered an emergency cesarean. Mm-hmm. Um, since my body wasn't able to give labor like it was supposed to. Um, so his goal was to try to get me as far along in my pregnancy as possible for the safety of my son and for myself. And he also gave me, at that point, I had started going every week because the contractions weren't being controlled by the nifedipine. And every week I would have to go in and get a shot. And I don't remember what it was. <laughs> was it the steroids? Um, no, I only got those twice. Okay. But it was another, sh- it was another medicine um, that I needed in order to help me stop with the contractions. And then that ended up actually having to be done twice a week because my body started getting used to that as well. So at that point... I was on the nifedipine and the two shots Mm -hmm. a week. The last time I went to the hospital, I believe I was 34 or 35 weeks. And um, the contractions weren't stopping. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. I was resting, taking a shower, relaxing, you know, not moving. And when I went to the hospital, they had called my doctor, and he knew what was going on. And they wanted, he wanted them to time them and see how frequent and how strong they were. And I was hooked up to the monitor, and my mom and my fiancé were there at the time. And they're looking at the monitor. I can remember this as clear as day. They're looking at the monitor, and I'm just talking away like normal, like nothing's going on. And the nurse comes in, and she's just like, can you feel that? And I was just like, yeah. And she's like, are you okay? And I was like, yep, I'm okay. And she comes back in after about 15 minutes, and she says, okay, we have to give you this shot, which I knew was coming, Mm -hmm. and we need to discharge you. And your doctor said to come back if they get stronger, but... But I don't know if they can, I told him, I don't know if they can get any stronger because they weren't able to read them off of the monitor. That's how strong the contractions were at that time. Okay. (laughs) And she starts laughing and I was laughing and I got discharged and then I ended up having to see him again Mm -hmm. right after. And I've had, at that point, I had to do a non-fetal stress test. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Um, because my son, um, he wasn't moving for a period of time and we all got really worried because, um, that was happening for a couple weeks, but I was told what to do. Like I'd have to shake my belly up and down or put a pot on top of it and hit it with a spoon. Um, just something to get him moving. Right. In case he was sleeping to like wake him up and and get him to move. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, But that day he wasn't moving and they got really nervous and they had had me drink two cans of Mountain Dew. Sugar you up. (laughs) (laughs) And that really shocked me when she came in the room with that. (laughs) 
And uh, so I, I had to drink the Mountain Dew. And I had to run around the room and do those things mm -hmm. in order to try to get him moving. And he finally started moving. And the stress test went normal. Mm -hmm. And then my doctor, I got to the point where my doctor said, okay, if you go into labor, you're headed to the hospital and we're going to do a C-section. And this was, you were past 35 weeks. Yes. So was the thinking, because he was like in a little bit of a catch-22 all along, because like you said before, he said he would not let you go into labor because mm -hmm. it would be an emergency cesarean, but your body was sort of trying to go into labor all the time. Yes. He was trying his hardest to make it to where I did not deliver my son early. He, he really did try, mm -hmm. and it worked. Um, I made it to my scheduled C-section date, which was May 22nd. How many weeks was that? I was just shy of 38 weeks. Okay. So it, it wasn't bad. Um, I remember <laughs> that day I was excited and nervous, and uh, my doctor at that time, the whole time I was with him, He's very military, so he's very just to the point, you know, nothing else. Mm -hmm. Very stern, kind of. And he comes into the emergency or into the operating room to see me before he starts, and he draws on my belly a little baby where he's going to cut. And he's joking around with me and smiling, and I'm just like, wow. Because he was never like that during our office visits. So that was really cool. I could tell he was extremely happy, you know. He really liked doing his job, I could tell at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got into the emergency, or into the operating room, excuse me. <laughs> um, Were you, now I'm going to start asking you more details just because I want to sort of paint the picture. So... Were you having contractions at that time, was, or was it just the scheduled date? So you woke up and, and, and went to it? Um, kind of both, um, because when I was 35 weeks, I was one centimeter dilated at mm -hmm. that point. So they made sure that my uh, C-section date was scheduled by then um, and that it was locked in, which it was. Um, and I woke up that morning and I was having the contractions as normal and, uh, I just went there and it was just planned. Mm -hmm. Do, did they check to see how dilated you were then or it didn't matter? No, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And then were you, so did you walk into the OR? Did they wheel you in? Were you, was it... I guess I'm trying to figure out how stressful or non-stressful it was. For me, personally, like, I think my entire pregnancy at that point, it could have been stressful for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I can definitely understand why many, many people would feel really stressed out in those situations with that news and everything just changing so quickly. Um, but I surprisingly wasn't that stressed. I think that it was because that I, I knew I was in good hands. Mm -hmm. um, because he knew from just a vaginal exam that I couldn't give birth vaginally 
whereas the doctors I had had in New York were waiting on x-ray reports from the emergency room from years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think I was just, I was very confident in my doctor. So when I got to the hospital and I got into my room, my pre-op room, and he had come in, it was, it was fun. He came in and He was in a great mood, and my anesthesiologist and their team and the nurses came in that were going to be in the operating room with me, and they're all taking pictures with me and laughing and, you know, asking me questions about the pregnancy and the baby and how I was feeling and everything else, and it was just, it was really exciting. It it was definitely, it made me feel better about having the Mm C-section. It definitely wasn't traumatic for me as I know that a lot of C-sections can be for a lot of people. Um, but for me, the whole experience, they, they made it a pleasant one. Yeah. And it seems, well, you, that you have, you had several months to prepare, know that that was coming. So the day that it happened, I guess you must have also been really happy that the drugs had worked and you had made it that far to know that your, your son was not necessarily, you know, a premature birth anymore um and and that everybody was so happy and so calm about it oh definitely that 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 was the biggest thing that I was happy about was that he my doctor was able to figure out everything about my pregnancy to make it to where I could get as far along as I could that was safe for me to deliver him mm-hmm. yeah so tell me about the procedure itself how much did they explain beforehand or did he explain as he was going along? Um, they explained everything to me beforehand. Um, pretty pretty cut and dry. Um, and then I was wheeled into the OR. And my mom had to stay back because my mom was the one that was going to be in the operating room with me because you were allowed to have one person. Mm-hmm. And I got into the operating room. And they had me sit up and move to this one table where they had to do the epidural. Mm -hmm. And I had to put my arms around one nurse, kind of, I had to hunch my back, but not like really, really hunch. It was a very awkward position. Right. And, um, the anesthesiologist, um... He he did the epidural, but he had missed the first time because I had moved on accident mm-hmm. because I was having a contraction. And um, so they, they helped me get back into position, and they did it again. And then from just below my breast, like right at the middle of my ribs, I would say, down went completely numb. It was all warm and tingly, and I couldn't really feel anything. And uh, they needed me to move to the operating table. And they asked if I could do it on my own, and I was like, nope, there's no (laughs) way. So they had the operating table kind of at a diagonal, so I could put my arms up and get my upper half on, and they lifted up my lower half and my legs and put it on the table and then 
I started having some complications from the anesthesia. Hmm. Um, where my body temperature was dropping too fast. Um, and they were just about to call off the operation because they couldn't get it under control. Because I remember I got on the table and then they were going to, they said to bring my mom in because they were going to get started. Right. And while she was getting my mom, I had, my body temperature started dropping really fast and they started piling on the heating blankets and my teeth started chattering and I started shaking really bad. And I had told them before that I reacted badly to anesthesia, so they were prepared. Okay. And you uh, knew because of when you broke your tailbone? Um, from a, from prior surgery. Okay. Um, I knew that I had been told that that was a big problem in the past. Um, so they had, they were prepared. They had like five carts of those warming towels in the operating room, which I guess they usually only have two. <laughs> okay. So they started piling me with those, and I had them all over my arms and my chest and my stomach and my legs, all around my face and head. And I just remember being so, like, cold. I was, I don't think my body temperature dropped so low before. Mm -hmm. I forget what they said it was. I think they said it was, like, 96.7, I think. Okay. It was, it was pretty low for um, what it should have been while I was there and um they went to bring my mom in and they just rushed her right out when they saw what was going on but then you and stabilized I, yeah <laughs> okay good and I guess that really scared my mom sure. understandably and uh they finally got it controlled to a temperature that my body could sustain and they could continue on with the operation and my mom came in, and she sat down, and she's, you know, petting my head and brushing my hair back, and she's crying, are you okay, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> she needed reassurance. She did. <laughs> my teeth were still chattering the entire time. Mm -hmm. I had a nurse on my right side, and my mom was on my left side, and everything, and it had been a couple minutes, and they were all talking. I had a um, a sheet kind of up in between me and the, the obstetrician and the nurses. Um, so I couldn't really see my C-section or what was going on. Mm -hmm. Just protecting the sterile field. Yeah. I could have asked for it down. Mm -hmm. I wanted it down, but my mom said she, she couldn't do it if it was like that. And she really wanted to be in the room. Okay. So I didn't get to see him actually being born. Um, but that was okay with me. I understood. Um, and I was laying there, and it, it had been a little while, and I was like, I wonder when they're going to start. And I had asked, and she said, well, we have to perform a test first just to make sure that the anesthesia is working and everything else. And I was just like, okay. And I knew they couldn't tell me when they were going to test because some people have that reaction where they think they feel something. Uh-huh. And so I was just talking to my mom like nothing was going on. I figured they'd let me know when they'd started. And literally, I went, I turned to her. I'm like, I wonder if they're going to start soon. And as soon as I finished that sentence, my body just lifted off the table. Like I just felt this big jerk back and forth. 
Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, I guess they started. And we start laughing. And then... Was it uncomfortable was feeling or just sort of pressure? Oh, there was pressure. Mm-hmm. As soon I knew they... I had done the turn kind of where they had flipped me a little bit. And then they're just like, okay, you're going to feel a little bit of pressure. And I was like, okay. And I was talking to my mom still, and we were getting excited because we knew it was going to be any second. And then this immense pressure, and I was like, oh my gosh. It was, I still can't describe it. It was just so much pressure. Like, it didn't hurt, but it Mm -hmm. was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, you knew what was happening. And then that had happened, and I heard my son cry. (laughs) and then my mom cried (laughs) I I bet it was a different kind of cry (laughs) yes (laughs) she was very happy and then uh did they lift him your son up so you could see him I don't know because of the way um the way that they had me piled with the blankets right I really couldn't move much Because during the operation, they kept on having to change out the blankets so my body temperature would stay the same. Mm -hmm. But as soon, I think they uh, cleaned them up a little bit, um, the vernix and stuff off of them, and they handed them to my mom. And my mom tried to show me, but I couldn't really see him. And I just remember kissing his nose. And I know my entire pregnancy, I was worried about his nose for some reason. And my mom's just like he hit his. He has a perfect nose. No need to worry. Mm-hmm. And then they got her in a wheelchair, and she was allowed. She held him, and they went to the nursery to make sure, do the standard testing, um, to make sure he was healthy and everything. And then the longest part was them uh, stitching me back up. Yeah, it takes way longer than you think. <laughs> Yeah, I think that part alone took about 45 minutes. And I got, yes, yeah, that sounds about about right. Usually it's babies out really quick, like in five <laughs> minutes, and then that's the longest, putting you back together. Yeah. And I don't know, it's interesting to me because I have been in, in you know, participated in C-sections, um, giving support to moms, but every place does them a little different, so... Of your story, what's surprising to me is that they did they took the baby out of the room and didn't do the checks there with you um, in, you know, in the OR. That seemed like it would make the time seem a lot longer to me. Was yeah, it-, <laughs> it was that was the hardest part because I didn't really even get to see him. I just was able to kiss his nose. So I didn't see his face or anything like that. I didn't get to touch him. Um, my mom had him. They, um, they stitched me back up and that, that was kind of great. They they started singing different songs and we all started singing together. (laughs) It was, it was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, which I guess is weird to some people that I describe it as being fun. (laughs) Um, And then I went into the recovery room right after, and I had to stay there for an hour, and I wasn't allowed to see him. And I just remember the nurse getting mad at me because I was really worried about, 
you know, how he was doing, you know, I hadn't seen him or held him. Mm -hmm. And I kept asking, you know, can I go up now? Is he okay? What's going on? Stuff like that. And the nurse down there, I could tell, was getting really upset with me. And I was trying not to get sick from the anesthesia. I -hmm. felt completely awful. But I was trying not to get sick because I knew if I started getting sick, they would keep me there longer. Mm-hmm. So were, your, were your legs starting to, Could you? did you have feeling? Were you starting to get feeling back? No, mm-hmm. I didn't get the feeling back in my legs until probably the end of the night. Oh, what time was he born? He was born at 7.47 in the morning. Okay. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. Um... So they got me out of the recovery room, and they brought me up to my room, and I was told at that point that as soon as I got in my room, he would be in there. Was the nurse telling you when you were asking her, how's he doing, is he okay, was she telling you anything about him? No, she wasn't, and I think that was, that's when I started getting really anxious. I started having, you know, I started getting mad and anxious more at the nurse because she wasn't telling me anything. She was telling me absolutely nothing. And your mom hadn't come back? No, because I specifically told her to not leave his side. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I wanted somebody by him constantly. And that kind of upset her because I'm her baby. But she knew that I really just, I wanted her to stay with him until he was able to be with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was there all alone. Yeah. So when did you get to see him? I got up to the recoverer, to my room that I was going to stay in. They said he would be there as soon as I got in. And he wasn't. And I was just like, okay, well, I'll just call the nursery and have them bring him in. And I called and they said, oh, they're, you know, washing him up and doing his testing. He'll be right in. And it had been about half an hour to 40 minutes and I, he still wasn't in there. So I was getting even more nervous. And this was after you had gotten up to the recovery room. So it had been, do you remember how long it had been since he had been born? It had had to have been about three hours at that point. Okay. And I called again. And they had said, they they were really nice. They had reassured me that everything was okay. There was nothing wrong. Everything was fine. They were just, you know, checking him over, doing a bath. And then when I had called the second time, the pediatrician had come to take a look and make sure everything was fine at all the babies that he had. And that took about another hour, hour and a half. And then I finally got to see him. And then as soon as I saw him, it was maybe about 10 or 15 minutes and I started getting really sick. So I had to have my mom hold him. Oh. But that that was the hardest part for me. The not was, being able to see him for so long? Yeah. It yeah. was hours, hours before I was able to see him. He was born at 747 and I didn't get to see him until about 1230, 1 o'clock. Wow. Yeah. And and he there was nothing wrong with him at the end, right? No. 
at first, because they were giving him shots, um, the vitamin K, mm-hmm. um, because I had said that that was okay to give him, um, but I didn't want the the eye ointment. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first they thought, because they were doing the blood tests and the shots, he didn't make a sound. He didn't move. He didn't make a sound. Nothing. So what they usually, down there, they usually do a hearing test right before you leave. But they did his the same day that he was born because they thought he might be deaf. Mm. Uh, but his hearing came back fine. So they were all kind of confused about that. But other than that, he was he was really healthy at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you finally got him and then you started getting sick, were you able to recover? Like, when were you able to actually just sit and hold your baby? Um, by the time I stopped getting really sick and was able to, I kept trying to. Every time I felt like I wasn't going to get sick, I tried to hold him. Because that's all I wanted to do, but I didn't want to get sick on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Um... But I think it finally wore off around, like, five. The sick feeling finally wore off around, like, five or six. And then the tiredness didn't wear off until the next day, though. Mm-hmm. So and it was hard. <laughs> yeah. Were the nurses, did they not have something to give you for nausea medicine? Or were you just not telling them? No, they they tried. It just wasn't working. Okay. It was, I think it honestly made it worse, as crazy as that may sound. They gave me something for the nausea, and then it, like, got worse for, like, an hour. No, no. But. So, now your son is three. Yes. How are you feeling about the whole experience? Would you, was there something that you would do differently? Or something that you, you, you know, would have done different preparation? Oh, most definitely. Um, since I've had him, I've become a birth and bereavement doula and um, a trained childbirth educator. So I know a lot more of my options now than I I had before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually currently um, talking to my midwife because I'm back in New York. <laughs> um, Welcome back. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but... We're currently talking about do, trying for a VBAC um, as long as I can handle it and everything like that, as long as everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not pregnant currently. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, but didn't want to ask. Like, <laughs> I was going to let you tell me. <laughs> no, I'm not pregnant currently. Okay. Um, it was just a question I had for her, just um, in case, I guess. So, in her opinion, your tailbone is not an issue. In her opinion, it isn't, um, which kind of upset me a little bit. Mm. Um, Because I had asked her, after educating myself about different things, especially one of them being VBAC, um, I had asked her what her opinion was, and she did an exam and she said that she, from what she knows, she didn't see an issue. But 
um, without the records from my obstetrician, she doesn't know if there was something else that was going on that he didn't want to let me know about then. Mm -hmm. So she would have to go through, excuse me, through my, um, my operative reports and my, um, medical history from him to see if he had noted anything that he just didn't particularly want to let me know about during the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And at that point you were also high risk. So there Mm -hmm. was that added, added layer. Yes. I'm I'm at a blank for a second. (laughs) That doesn't usually happen. (laughs) So how, yeah, so the question, the part that I was um, also asking you is, now how are you feeling? And you kind of answered a little bit. How are you feeling about your experience now? Um, I honestly, I don't think it was a bad experience. Um, I'm not, I guess I'm not traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think everything in my, in my opinion, um, I believe everything happens for a reason. Um, so what the reason for everything happening the way it did, I don't understand, but that's okay with me. Um, but I just, I really appreciate that they made everything as easy and understanding as they did. I think if it had been different or if there was like a lack of emotion there then my feelings about my birth could have been completely different and I probably would be really upset Mm -hmm. yeah and as you were telling your story it seemed like you felt supported and you felt loved and you felt that even what was happening you you know it was a good birth it was I I don't regret any of it honestly it, uh, it was definitely, it was wonderful for me. I would have preferred being able to give birth vaginally, but it was okay with me that I ended up having a C-section. Mm-hmm. I understood at that point, you know, why and things that could have happened that were being able to be prevented. And it was... It wasn't like they weren't giving me any options. They were trying their best to give me as many options and choices as I could have in that situation. And I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like with the information you had, you know, like we always say, you you do the best when you know what you know, you do what you can. Mm -hmm. Um, And under those circumstances, it does seem like that was the situation. And the biggest hurdle to overcome probably were the constant contractions so getting you to 30 almost 38 weeks was a big success yes that was one of the biggest (laughs) yeah for sure yeah so I thank you so much for coming to the show and sharing your story because it gives a completely different perspective and having a step-by-step step c-section um oh one last question did how did breastfeeding go were you did you try to breastfeed i did um it was it was pretty hard at first especially um and i wasn't very happy per se or comfortable with 
the um, lactation consultant that had uh, entered my hospital room when I was trying to breastfeed my son. Um, at that point, he had been breastfeeding pretty well. Um, we weren't really, I didn't think we were having any latch issues. Um, and she had come in and she didn't even introduce herself at that point and just kind of grabbed my, my breast and was like, here you go. And I was like, okay. Um, but I breastfed him. I was able to breastfeed him for a little less than a month, which was really sad for me because I had, I had really planned on breastfeeding him a lot longer Mm-hmm. Um, but I was having supply issues and he ended up having some severe, really severe acid reflux issues. Um, so he ended up having to be on a specialized formula for that. But I know definitely if I have another child that my, my breastfeeding, um, with that child, I'm hoping to be able to to have that happen for longer. Sure. And just the fact that you've breastfed one child makes it easier to breastfed, breastfeed the other. At least you have like more, more tissue, more breastfeeding tissue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck in your journey towards your second child. And I thank you so, so much for being here on the show and telling us your story. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Take care, Monica. You too. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. And even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>